thanks for joining us at the Ham South Podcast Network. If you're interested in joining us in our services, we meet at 10am on a Sunday at 131 or Hoporo in Melbourne. We'd love to see you there. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Neon Kids Programme. Neon is a before and after school care and school holiday program for primary and intermediate students. Neon has two centres operating in Rotatuna and in Melville. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz. Now to the pod. Who is it? Jonathan, come in, come in. Any news? Any updates? They all still cowering in their tents? No surprises there. I mean, we're supposed to be the army of God, you know? You'd think that would incite a little bit more bravery among the troops. Really, no one? No one's come forward? No one can face them? What do you mean, not really? If someone's volunteered, bring them in. <sighs> um, Jonathan, can I have a word for a second? Dude, he's a child. Beggars can't be choosers. Remember who you're speaking to. Oh, he's a shepherd. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? Yeah, that'll work wonders up against that giant. I don't care if he's wrestled lions and bears. Have you looked out there? Have you seen that giant of a man? He was probably the size of a bear when he was in nappies. Are you seriously telling me that's the best we've got? Right, the all that we've got. <sighs> you know the consequences if we lose. So, guess there's no talking you out of this? I didn't think so. All right, well, if you're going to do this, you might as well look the part. Here, this is my tunic. Put it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll need my sword as well. Yes, I know, it's a bit heavy. Okay. Uh, a shield. Definitely need one of those. Oh, helmet. Protect that head of yours. Judging by your irrational fearlessness, I think you've had a few too many blows to it already. Right, now walk around. See how it feels. You know, like maybe... Try swinging the sword a bit, you know, not dragging it along the ground. Yeah, swing up, up, oh, oh, you're right. Okay, just, you just need a few more minutes to get used to it. No, don't take it off. You won't last five seconds out there without it. What do you mean it doesn't feel right? It's armour, it's not silk pyjamas, it's there to protect you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just go out there in your shepherd get-up. Yeah, that'll have him quaking in his boots. Oh, yeah, of course, don't forget the sling. <laughs> Where would you be without that, eh? I was joking. <laughs> Come.
come back. Oh, he's gone. Oh, we're in trouble. Oh, man. As David entered that battle, armed with nothing but a sling and a few rocks, Despite the overwhelming odds against him, the sheer magnitude of his adversary, Goliath, standing there, he was calm. The sort of calm from someone twice Goliath's size. David stood there, he looked up into the giant's face as it was mocking and taunting him. He cleared his throat and said, you, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come at you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, the Lord God Almighty. And today you have defied him and you're, you're going to lose. I summarized the ending. <sighs> then David swung his sling. The rock flies through the air and thud, The battle's won, with nothing but a sling and a stone. No armour of any kind, or at least not the kind Saul had in mind. The scripture we're looking at today isn't actually David and Goliath, but I thought it illustrated the point beautifully. If you've got your Bible, feel free to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. We'll have it on the screen as well, but feel free. I've also written down the NRSV version, so if it doesn't quite match up, I apologise. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armour of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. Let's pray. (laughs) God, be in our head and in our understanding. Be in our eyes and in our looking. Be in our mouth and in our speaking be in our heart and in our thinking. God be with us at our end and at our departing. Amen.
here loves a good underdog story. Yeah. I was really nervous last night's game was going to go bad and I would have had to change this whole intro. <laughs> Japan made the quarterfinals. Who would have thought? Insane. Now, I'm a sucker for a good underdog movie. Cool Runnings, The Mighty Ducks, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> when little, little Hobbit Frodo sets out from the Shire on his journey to go up against the big bad and do battle and... We cheer and we watch with bated breath as these, these little guys go and they face the enemy and against all odds, they win. Why, why is that? Why do, we, why do we like the underdog stories so much? I think sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, we see ourselves as that little guy, the underdog when we don't fully understand our identity in Christ, it can become easy for the enemy to wiggle his way in and plant seeds of self-doubt. Obviously, I can only speak for myself. And yet, maybe I wouldn't be going too far out on a limb to say that some of you can sympathise with me and know that all too well that feeling of believing the enemy's lies about you. Now, not to brag, but I've got a pretty extensive repertoire of lies the enemy has planted in me throughout my 30 years. In fact, I could probably release a Greatest Hits album. You know, there's some of them are the old classics, which you don't hear anymore, but every now and then when they come on, you're like, oh yeah, remember that when I used to think just because I'm a girl, I'm somehow less than my male counterpart? Ha! Classic! Yes! And then there's the ones that just never seem to be off the airwaves. Like every time you get in the car and turn on the radio, there it is again. <sighs> For me, especially since starting this whole studying endeavour, one of the recurring big lies the enemy likes to plant in my head is the feeling of not being smart enough. To say I struggled in high school would be a massive understatement. <laughs> After failing NCA level one, <laughs> going into year 12, I was only actually going to two classes, dance and drama. Which, as it turns out, according to the principal, isn't enough of a variety of academia to warrant keeping me in school. So by halfway through year 12, I was politely asked to maybe not come back. At the time, all I could think was, yes, catch you suckers later. I didn't have the foresight to think, maybe one day I'll need to know how to write an essay or need to know the difference between a preposition and a conjunction. I still don't know. <laughs> and while yes, Eventually, I got back on my feet, got a job. Still, that insecurity never really went away. I would feel, I'd feel a bit awkward and confused when people used big words in conversations that I didn't know what it meant. I'd be embarrassed that later on I have to go home and Google that word and be like, oh, okay, I got it, right. <laughs> I'd think, I'd get defensive. 
and think, I think they're doing it on purpose. They're trying to confuse me, trying to hoodwink me. And I get angry. (laughs) I would laugh it off. I do that a lot, use humour. And I'd say, it's okay. I don't need book smarts. I got street smarts. (laughs) Ah, humour. Covers all matter of insecurities. So you can imagine how daunting it was for me after 13 years of being away from any kind of study to jump in to tertiary study. With every assignment, this fresh wave of dread and panic would hit me. These voices saying, you're not smart enough, you're going to stuff it up. And this is how the enemy works. He takes out inadequacies, our flaws, our past hurts, regrets, mistakes, and he has an absolute field day with them. Because of our fallen nature, the enemy has these inbuilt ways of attacking us. Some of us may come from broken or dysfunctional backgrounds, maybe did not receive the love or acceptance you needed to nourish a secure identity. Then perhaps some of you may have experienced abuse, whether neglect, emotional, physical, sexual, all of these just adding to the problem. Satan uses these memories these scars to imprison us in shame, fear, and guilt. All emotions that prevent us from believing that anyone could love us unconditionally. That pain we feel is so often wrapped up in lies we believe about ourselves. Our pain is like this never-ending banquet to the enemy, who can return to it any time when hunger strikes. And unfortunately for us, his hunger is never satisfied. First Peter 5.8 tells us, Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. Satan preys on our brokenness. Then he adds to our condemnation and discouragement and then tempts us to doubt, disobey, rely on ourselves with the ultimate goal of cutting us off from God. Why? Because when it's just us, and it's just us by ourselves, we're not as much of a threat. So how can we possibly stand against these attacks? How can we shake off that underdog mentality? At Kerry, one of the first things we're told to do when examining a verse is read it, read it, reread it, and read it again. <laughs> Noticing any repetitions. I don't know if you noticed, but if we look at that verse again in Ephesians, you might notice a few repetitions. Let's see. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Take up the whole armour of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore. Now, I might be wrong. But I think Paul's telling us to stand and stand firm. So that sort of rules away the running away option. Dang it. In fact, you'll notice as we go through the pieces of armour, there's really nothing there to protect our back. So we really can't turn and run away. 
Verse 12 tells us our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh. I think two big mistakes we can make in our spiritual walk concerning the enemy is overestimating the devil, where every single thing that goes wrong in our day-to-day life must be the work of the devil. (sighs) Let's be realistic. Satan probably wasn't the reason behind you burning your toast this morning, but there really are people like that. Then the other end of the scale is underestimating the devil. I have no doubt Satan wants us to live in a state of fear and panic, thinking he's everywhere. But I think he wants just as more, just as much, to go unnoticed by us, to hide behind fights with co-workers, gossiping about our neighbours, holding grudges against our loved ones, When we do this, we completely miss the real enemy at work, behind the scenes, at the root of all these problems. So how are we supposed to stand against an enemy we can't see? A master of deception who hides in the shadows. Paul knew what we're up against. These spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places are the very same that Paul himself was facing. He knew we don't stand a chance on our own. So he's told us exactly how to stand firm. This is a real life spiritual battle taking place. So it's not surprising that Paul uses the metaphor of armour to clothe ourselves in it. The listeners of Paul's day would most likely be familiar with Roman armour. They were everywhere. Clothing, clothing then was, was a lot looser. So you really needed a belt to secure and, and hold together your goods. So when we say the belt of truth, he wasn't just talking about a strap of leather to hold up your pants. This was an integral part of the soldier's outfit. It was used to hold the sword in place, to hold the breastplate in place, to ease off some of the weight of the breastplate so it wasn't all on on their shoulders. So we know the enemy deals in lies. He will assault your identity. You'll never be good enough. You don't deserve love. He will use guilt, shame, fear to hold you down. So how do we battle those lies? truth. What is truth? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to let Jesus speak truth into our lives. Only his truth can dig out those lies the enemy has planted in our hearts. John 8, 32 Jesus told his disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So we need to know, really know that truth, 
for it to be able to set us free. If you're believing those lies that the enemy has planted in your life, you will still be in chains. You'll still be in bondage. Only his truth matters. Not your neighbor's truth, not your friend's truth, no matter how well-intended. Only the truth of Jesus will really set you free. Next, Paul instructs us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Anyone who's been to my house will know 99% of the time it's a bit of a hot mess. Kids are messy, right? (laughs) The other day, I was walking down to the letterbox. I noticed about a dozen teaspoons in the dirt on the garden. And my first thought was, ah, that's where all the spoons are. (laughs) And then... In case you're as confused as I was, Malachi (laughs) had accumulated a collection of spoons by the end of term from his lunches, and instead of, you know, putting them in the dishwasher, he thought, no, I'm going to put them in the garden. Nine-year-old logic? I don't know. So you can understand, some days I just can't be bothered tidying up. Is anyone else? Can you sympathise with me? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Why bother, right? Just going to mess it up again tomorrow. I mean, Malachi will be 18 in like nine years, so maybe I'll get around to it then. (laughs) Now, even though every other room in my house is is a mess. Generally, my bedroom is pretty tidy. And I'll tell you why. Nothing, nothing in the world is more of a motivator to keep your room tidy than walking in, grabbing your jacket off the ground, chucking it on, and then feeling something crawling up your arm. As it turns out, white-tailed spiders love to hide in your clothes. So when we leave our clothes on the floor, they see it as this lovely little invitation to creepy crawl their way into your sleeves. When we create an environment that becomes a welcoming place for those creepy crawlies, to enter and make their home, we're living an unhealthy life. Righteousness is living life the right way up, inviting Jesus' blessing into our lives. Unrighteousness is living an upside-down life of mess, creating a hospitable environment for those enemies to enter and flourish. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we affirm we are aligning our behaviour with God. Aligning our behaviour to the truth that we say we affirm. Righteousness is not about being perfect. None of us in this room can be perfect. I'm sorry. 
It's about knowing that 2,000 years ago, someone came who was perfect in every way, and he gave his life so that you could wear his righteousness on yourself. Righteousness belongs to God. It can't be taken away from him, but he chose to freely give it to us. So it's no wonder the enemy wants to do all he can to tempt us into an unrighteous life. I think we need to ask ourselves, are we making our life a hospitable place for God or for the enemy? As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. The gospel is the good news. The good news of the sacrifice Christ made so we can be saved. The ultimate sacrificial lamb died a criminal's death on a cross. But death could not hold him down. He defeated death by rising again three days later. So peace is the result of the gospel. The knowledge that we have a saviour who, no matter how fierce, can calm the storm with a simple command. A saviour whom even the wind and the waves obey. Peace is being able to stand firm while the waves crash around us knowing he won't let us drown. In Matthew 28, 19, while talking to his disciples, Jesus commissions them to go out, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus isn't just instructing them to go abroad and go to that place over there and and convert people. No, the original text reads, therefore go And in your going, make disciples of all nations. He's saying, even on the way to where you're headed, share the gospel. Always be ready to share the good news. So be sure you're wearing the right shoes at all times. The shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 tells us, Faith is the assurance in things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When we use faith as a shield, we are protecting our whole body from the enemy's flaming arrows. We're putting our, we're putting our hope and the God that saves to protect. During battle, a common tactic the enemy would use would be flaming arrows. Not necessarily to kill, but to distract, to cause chaos and confusion. A flaming arrow would would come and, and hit their shield, and suddenly their shield is a light. So what do you do? Throw down your shield. But in throwing down our shield, we've suddenly opened our entire body up for attack. That's how the enemy works. 
He causes chaos suddenly from all sides. In the hopes we panic, we throw down our shield because once we're without faith, what are we? All we can rely on is, is what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch. But 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, walk by faith, not by sight. Because our immediate sight can sometimes deceive us. It can overwhelm us. But faith allows us to see beyond our current circumstances. Helmet of salvation. We all know what a helmet's for, right? Protects the head. Anyone here fallen off a bike before? Yeah. Last weekend, we were out for a bike ride down uh, along the Tiawa River Trail. And Emmy was on the back of my bike. And at one point, there's this big hill and it goes down and then it goes up straight away. And... Uh, I could not change down gears fast enough for the, for the incline. And pff, off we went into the bushes. <laughs> now, thankfully, my wrist broke my fall, not my head. We were both wearing our helmets. But at the end of the day, wrists heal. Heads, oh, not always. <laughs> they can be a bit more temperamental. Housing, arguably one of the most important organs we have, Hard enough knock to the head can result in all sorts of nasty consequences. We see boxers and football players now, years later, with irreversible brain damage. So why the helmet of salvation? If the enemy is hurling lies at your head and your helmet is not securely in place, how easy will it be for those attacks to take root and form doubts. If you don't truly believe God is with you on this journey, there's really no hope, is there? How effective will you be as a disciple with no hope? David's helmet was a, a hope for salvation, a hope for the Messiah who had not yet come, a faithful hope that the Lord would keep his word to his people. For us, though, our hope has already been realized. We're not nervously awaiting a promised Messiah who may come tomorrow, come tomorrow 500 years from now. No, Jesus already came. He's already paid the price for our salvation. We've got the assurance of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-10 for God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. So we've got our protective gear on. Helmets in place, our belts secured, shoes tied tight, breastplate in place, holding our shield. Awesome. But these are all just defensive weapons. At the end of the day, we've actually got to fight, right? We've only got one weapon. 
one weapon in our arsenal. But it's all we need. The sword of the Spirit. That is the Word of God. We see so many examples in the Bible of the power the Word has to conquer the enemy. Jesus' time in the wilderness. Time and time again, he's attacked by the enemy. And every time, Jesus turns to Scripture, the sword of the Spirit. We live in a country lucky enough to have the Word of God readily available to us in our books, on our iPad, our cell phones, audiobook, you name it. There are countries where just having a Bible in your possession could get you and your entire family, three generations down, executed. We need to be taking advantage of this amazing freedom we have to read, to dive into God's Word at any chance we can. Read it, reread it, study it, memorize it, because this this is how we do battle. Will it take time? Yes. You're not going to memorize the whole Bible overnight. <laughs> but no soldier is ready overnight. It takes time, practice, discipline, training, getting fit. Finally, Paul encourages us to pray in the Spirit at all times, the sword of the Spirit we've already established is the Word of God. So praying in the Spirit is a, is a prayer that the Spirit flows through, a prayer that flows from the knowledge of God's Word. As we read the Bible, the Spirit ignites in us, in us this passion to pray with thanksgiving, and make our requests known to him in line with the scriptures. The scriptures that were themselves inspired by the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 to 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The story of David and Goliath is perhaps one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's so widely known that the term David versus Goliath is often used in mainstream settings to describe big corporations versus little small businesses. But in light of the armour of God, the story is suddenly so much more than that. David walked out onto that battlefield clothed in the armour of God, the breastplate of righteousness strapped to his chest, walking with the authority given to him from the God of Israel, the helmet of salvation securing his resolute hope of salvation, the sandals of peace keeping him calm and unwavering in the midst of the external storm and of fear and doubt that the Israelite army was drowning in. He was holding firm 
to the shield of faith, his absolute assurance in the unseen God above. Holding all these in place, the belt of truth, to undo the lies of the enemy and to sheathe the sword of the spirit, the word of God, which is truth in its purest form. When spoken, the enemy flees. The second David walked out to face Goliath, that giant, clothed in the armour of God. Goliath never stood a chance. Jesus, would you speak truth into our lives today? We ask that your truth would set us free from our past hurts, from our past insecurities. Would you help us to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy? We ask that every day we would remember to clothe ourselves in your protective armour. Ignite in us a renewed passion for your word and a desire to share it wherever we go. Lord, go with us today and every day. We ask in your holy name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. Before you go, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Neon Kids Program. Neon is a before and after school care and school holiday program for primary and intermediate students. Neon has two centres operating in Rotatuna and in Melville. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz. Thanks again.